Go Time here on The Breakfast Show. We are about to launch into our 20 million movement Bible study. Before we do, we're going to have another question for our quiz. We're going to have text messages. We have so much that we can get into this morning. This has been an amazing Bible study. Lawson, we ready to go on the oh, quiz question? For, for sure. Let's okay, go. Let's do it. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting from what Old Testament book? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win. From plant to plate, diabetes edition, turning fresh, simple foods into a delicious habit. This is essentially a cookbook. It has... 92 recipes in it, which is a lot of simple, easy-to-make, healthy, tasty, incredible food that will be a blessing to you and your lifestyle. But again, that question was, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting from what book of the Old Testament? 0491 This is your second last chance to get in the quiz. We're going to have one more question after this, and then you can... Then, then that's it. We'll just draw it. Yeah, if we're going to draw it. It feels weird to be drawing it after three days. The week feels short. Definitely. Okay, so going to text messages, Brayden says, totally agree with Lyle on boys and driving. Give them a closed circuit or a paddock basher to learn to drive. Doesn't Finland start their kids driving far younger than we do? So that's an interesting question that I've never been asked before, so I did a bit of research. And looking at driving ages, interestingly, in Australia, it's incredibly hard to get a license for a two-wheeled vehicle. Mm-hmm. You've got to go through a lot of hoops to get that. But in other parts of the world, you can start riding those things around at a very young age. So Malaysia at uh, 16, Japan at 16, Israel at 16, Dominican Republic at 16, Thailand at 15, Czech Republic at 15, Denmark at 15, Estonia at 14, Finland at 15, Hungary at 14, Iceland at 16 for an unrestricted license. Latvia at 14, Lithuania at 14, Netherlands at 16, Poland at 14, Spain at 15, Switzerland at 14, Russia and most of Oceania around about is is 16. Mm. And, you know, you go on and on down through the list. So what I found here was that uh, Mauritius at 15, Mexico at 15, El Salvador at 15. In Canada, you've got Alberta at 14, Yukon at 15. We have incredibly strict rules in this country compared to pretty much anywhere in the world. Well, in New South Wales, it's 16 and 9 months for a learn and driver license. For yeah, a motorcycle. Like that. Uh, mm. Okay, mm. for a motorcycle license. Mm-hmm. There you go. And then 16 for, for your L's. But then you can't drive until, basically until you get your P's here in Australia. But it's so interesting. I was talking to some of my friends from different Asian countries around the place, and particularly in Japan. One person was saying, like, oh, it's so hard to get your license in Japan. And I was like, oh, what do you you have to do? And they're like, yeah, we have to do, like, a driving school over the space of, like, two months, and then you can get your license. I'm like, (laughs) I was, like, in Australia. (laughs) 150 logged hours. Yeah, yeah. Multiple tests. One year, like, L's. Like, in in Japan, they don't have that. Three years of different stages of licenses. red peas, green peas, and they're all like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) We live in the most controlled nanny state in the country, and Australians are some of the most submissive people to authority that there is any in the world Mm. and you know a lot of people wonder why is that what is that about the Australian culture that makes us so submissive to authority and I have a theory on it I believe it comes from our convict background you see when you ship to Australia as a convict and you are forced into submission for 7 to 14 or you know longer years by the time you come out the end of that you've been fully institutionalized into a submissive person 
And it's what is created. It's what is created here. You, know, you look at anything, that any legislation that has happened. The other thing, too, on the positive side of that is, that is, is our Protestant background because anywhere you go in the world, countries that have a Protestant heritage are vastly more law-abiding and have vastly more respect for authority than other religions. I'm going to disagree with you. Not on the Protestantism part, but that Australia is more submissive. I think that because Australians have a convict background, because we're actually like, I feel like in Australia more rule-breaking happens kind of thing. Like there are stricter laws. Okay, but think about COVID, for instance. I'll give you, I'll give you a prime example right there. We had some pretty, uh, we had some really oppressive laws that came in in relationship to COVID and Australians didn't really stand up anything like what they did in the United States for a comparison of a similar kind of country. Mm. And on top of that, we had a vastly higher vaccination rate than any, pretty much any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Yet we had the same level of vaccination hesitancy of any other country in the world. Mm. So explain that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a theory. It's a theory that I've been working on ever since COVID, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, like, why are we like this? Mm. I could be entirely wrong. Why are we? But then I don't know. I just I look over to other places in the world and I, I'm like, oh, but they're even more obedient the law i feel like there's still an, a breath or an air in australia where it's like they make so many laws because we break them you know be interested to hear your thoughts on this one whose side are you going to take mm-hmm. 0491-0491-064-669 now i think this is my take i think we like to think of ourselves as being rebels but we're actually not oh okay so we're just faking it that's yeah we're just we're just that's, wannabes. That's my theory. I kind of agree with you. That's fair enough. We're just wannabes. You know, all the convicts who were sent here to Australia were sent here for stealing bread. Yeah. So it's like they, they weren't really criminals. No, they were. Well, no, that is that they were really criminals, but not seven years worth of convict labor on the other side of the world criminals. Yeah, but it was like what? What is it? Essentially, like people were sent to Australia to clean up the streets of England, like that's right. Just get was... rid of the soci- low socioeconomic class yeah. who had to turn to a life of crime because they were like starving to death. Uh, eugenics has been around for a very long time and has mm-hmm. had very many, very different forms. And the UK believed that if they got rid of the lower classes and only allowed the higher classes to breed within their country, they would be able to breed a super race. Then Americans tried it with uh, you, with what was actually called eugenics during the 1930s and 40s. Adolf Hitler tried it with extreme versions. Mm-hmm. And we could go on and we could talk about the more modern versions of that. And then we look at Australia today. Like abortion. We look at Australia. Another form of eugenics. 100%. And euthanasia. Those two right there are just another form of eugenics. We look at Australia today and we can see who made the right and wrong decisions clearly. Yes. Absolutely. Shout out England for being worse than us. All right. uh... (laughs) Well, it just goes to show that this whole argument that if we kill off the weaker part of our species, the perceived weaker part of our species, then our species will become stronger. Mm. Australia is the greatest argument that there is against that. Mm. You know, because people who 
who push so hard for abortion are they like, well, these are people from a low socioeconomic environment mm. where they are going to be less able to take care of their children and they are less responsible, they're going to breed more and so it's going to weaken the gene pool. Uh, and, and, and this is one of the major arguments that there is out there for abortion. Australia is a prime example of that that is not the case. Mm. You can take people from a very low socioeconomic environment and if they make the right decisions, they will build a great country. Yep. All right. I'm hoping I've stirred everybody up this morning. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. All right. Where are we going here? This one says uh, on driving. <laughs> I was visiting my son in Gunbunji, oh, wow. Toowoomba, last week, and had a horrific trip from Toowoomba through Maringadan. Mm-hmm. I'm butchering this. <laughs> Anyway, they had a horrific drive. The drivers and the drivers are the most bad-mannered, rude, dangerous drivers I've ever come upon. I don't know how many times I was pushed off the road. I eventually got to my son's place a total wreck. Mm. Ouch feeling for you there, Margie. Mm. That's that's rough, rough trip you had right there. Mm. Uh, Jackie says, when push comes to shove, Australia has shown they are a subservient culture. Jackie says that. Vincent says... Good morning, Lyle. I spent half my life in California and half in Australia, and I believe your theory is correct. Okay. Okay. Let's see what else we've got. Mm. Uh, let's see here. Submitters Australians. She'll be right, mate. Today, laws are for control, not for the sake of true fair laws. And this is an interesting aspect of Australian culture, where we do have a she'll be right, mate, attitude, and uh, our f- sense of freedom has become has come largely from our wide open spaces rather mm. than our legislation. Mm. Everybody needs to have that sense of freedom. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. Okay, moving to other uh, text messages here. Oh, no, this is, a, this is still a long <laughs> Okay, driving discrimination for males, ridiculous. The solution is drive education, full stop. We couldn't yep. agree more. Mm. Uh, and all of those countries that I listed off where people are starting to drive at the ages of 14, 15, 16, they all have driver education as mm-hmm. a subject in school. Yeah, but it, it's interesting. I remember, like, living in Spain. I, I was living over there. The laws in regards to driving are so much more loose. There's, like, no highway patrols. There's cameras in tunnels, but that's about it. Like, you could go and do whatever you want. One time we got pulled over by the cops, and one of our passengers didn't have a seatbelt on, and the cop just came up to the window and he's like, 50 euro. And we were like... Okay, gave him the money. Like, <laughs> like, cash out the window. Like, he only did it. Like, he pulled us over to catch something like that. And the reason our passenger had a seatbelt off is because usually it just doesn't matter. Not that we're promoting. Like, I would wear my seatbelt when driving a car. But like, yeah, they were just. It's so loose. Now, I was under the impression then that wow, it's so loose over here, and so then it's just all G, and everyone can do whatever they want, and how good. But then, if you look up like accident rates in Europe. Spain has one of the worst. Yes. And it's significantly worse than Australia. So, yes. so it's kind of, you know, you can say, oh, yes, we should have looser laws and, and whatnot. And uh, it's another interesting thing about Australia, though. We are very risk averse. Mm. I wonder why that is. I, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to delve into the cultural background as to why we are the way we are yeah particularly in spain like you don't need a boat or a jet ski license 
Yeah. They're just like, the water, that's the water, you know. That's, that's, that's not Spain. That's water. Do, do whatever you want. You need a license for everything, everything in, in Australia. But yeah, I was like 15, like fanging out on this jet ski, like driving a- around people and boats and everything in Australia. That's unheard of. Mm. Like you just, they're you'd just done. You'd get absolutely destroyed. Okay. Once they start down that road, where will it stop? More control sounds like a good idea to start with, but the results will be very frightening. Mm. Okay. With energy problems, the present, which will only get worse in the future, we will all be driving in a horse and buggy. That's uh, I'm keen. I'm keen, Lyle. Get it out there. (laughs) Then another text message here says, Do you think in the early Christian church homosexuality would be acceptable? No way. God discriminates against sin, but loves the sinner. But he has to repent. Man discriminates against God's word. And and this is why the Bible says, you know, such were some of you. Mm. When it's talking about homosexuality, it talks about all that and says, you know, such were some of you. Mm. Past tense. You came under God's grace. Mm. Uh, let me see here. This one says, true, true, true Christianity, if adhered to, would save the world. That is what Christ did on the cross, if only the world believed. And this is so, such a, a good point right here because what Christianity is doing today rather than saving the world from sin is just accepting sin. Mm. What's the point of being in the world to save the world if you don't save the world and you just join the world? Mm. Uh few more coming through. Let's see what here. Kim says, nice theory, Lyle, but what about the fact that Australia went to Federation without a single shot being fired? Other countries had to have bloody resolutions to achieve this. Australia's never seen war on its soil, so we are really not accustomed to having to fight for things. Hence, people see us as laid back. This is a really interesting observation. Mm. I'm, I'm very curious to delve into what Kim has shared here in that we were able to do that uh, without having a war. Yeah, wow. And uh, I think that the way we achieved federation as opposed to how, say, for instance, America achieved independence wow. is both a product and a cause of our culture. Mm. So it's a product of a submissive culture that doesn't want to go to war with Great Britain and then it becomes... I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's so funny. I had a friend from the States who are spending time over here, there's just like, man, everyone's in island mode in Australia. Everyone just wants to live on the island and get what they can and be happy and content with what they have, like versus the American dream, which is like fight to make it kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was shocked when I went to America and lived in America and, and people would, you know, drive around with a seatbelt on and you'd be like, you know, wear a seatbelt. No. Isn't it the law? Yes. But it's my right. This mm. is my right. You know, this is my freedom. This is my religion. My, my, not my religious. This, this is my liberty. And no one is. And this was a very common thing. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's a different culture. Haven't come across that before. Mm-hmm. Braden says, I was very surprised how readily they jumped when the government said to do so. But I think you are right. We just pretend to be anti government. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Sky says, look how many people still go out with masks on, submissive and sheeples. Okay, I'm I'm just going to comment on this one because in Asian culture, Asians will always wear a mask when they are sick to protect you. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that Asians were 
just scared of us. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that was a bit racist when I saw Asians walking down the street with a mask on. But no, it's actually a politeness thing. Mm. Yeah, totally. And since COVID, you know what? I get the flu and I'm sniffling and sneezing and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I've learnt that it's a good idea to stay out of everybody else's way. I don't want you coming into the studio, Lawson, with the flu and give it to me. It's like, no, stay home. <laughs> Um, because I don't like having the flu. I'm not going to die from it. I'm not scared of it. Mm. But if I do have to be out in the public, I'm not opposed to putting a mask on if I am unwell. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to put a mask on to, you know, protect myself from whatever is supposedly floating around. Uh, okay, let's head over to um, our Bible study. Mm-hmm. Lawson, you've got all kinds of messages going back yeah, and forth. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what's going on, but I'm just going to go to the Chris Bible study. Shell and I are playing uh, sign language. Sign language uh-huh. through the glass. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are talking about Christ in the crucible, and there are so many mm-hmm. things that we could talk about in this Bible study. One of the big ones that the Bible study actually skips over because we got as far as Gethsemane. The Bible study then moves to the cross. Mm. But I want to talk about for a moment what happens between Gethsemane yes. and the cross. Yes. So, Lawson, what happens between Gethsemane and the cross? Jesus is beaten and tortured and falsely put on trial and then falsely accused, moved around between a number of famous politicians to then receive no support as a, like being totally innocent and then just being condemned to death and rejected by his disciples as well. I think that would have been the hardest. Mm, the abandonment. The abandonment. Mm. Have you ever, as a listener, have you ever felt abandoned? Yeah, wow. I mean, I think we all have at times, but never like that. I mean, here you've got a situation where these guys have been with Jesus through thick and thin for the last three and a half years. Mm. They have, um, you know, Peter, like a couple of hours before, like, oh, I'll, I'll follow you even under I'll death. go to prison. I'll do whatever. I, mm. I, I, you know, no one's going to break me from you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, you know, before the cock crows three times. Mm. And Peter's like, no, no, no. Mm. And then the Bible says that the mob turns up. Peter pulls out his sword. He's not a good swordsman. He tries to split somebody's skull open. Mm. And cuts off their ear. Cuts off their ear. Uh, so that was a warning slice. <laughs> yes, that was a warning slice, mate. No, it wasn't actually. He was trying to He's... trying to cleave his skull in two. Mm. Jesus says, "Put your sword away." Heals the guy's ear, mm. and at that moment, the disciples are just—they don't know what to do. Mm. And the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. In other words, they abandoned him. They rejected him, and they had seen the tremendous amount of stress that he had been under. Mm. They had seen, you know, and, and of course he's like, I'm, I'm just, you know, this is, this is like the most. I've never been under this level of stress before. Can you just, can you just pray with me? Mm. And his disciples just go to sleep. Mm. And then uh, this happens. The mob is there, and they just nope out of there. Mm. They just bolt for it. And they just vanish into the night. One of them, one of them actually runs away so fast. He is so desperate to get away that when one of the members of the mob tries to grab him, he grabs his cloak, and the guy just ditches his clothes and runs away naked. Because most and back then people only wore one piece of clothing. Sure. So he's running around naked in his mm. effort to disassociate himself from Jesus. Mm. 
And then you've got Peter who ends up denying Jesus three times, the last one right in front of him. Wow. To his face. Jesus can hear it. Jesus can see it. Peter knows it. It would be unbelievably hard. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But right now, we are going to have the final question for the quiz before we have our prize draw at 8.45 in just 15 minutes' time. In the sanctuary, the mercy seat was placed, A, under the Ark of the Covenant, B, beside the Ark of the Covenant, C, on the Ark of the Covenant, or D, one cubit above the Ark of the Covenant. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. Again, our prize for this week, from plant to plate, the diabetes edition. But that question was, in the sanctuary, the mercy seat was placed, A, under the Ark of the Covenant, B, beside the Ark of the Covenant, C, on the Ark of the Covenant, or D, one cubit above the Ark of the Covenant. Where was the mercy seat placed? 0491-064-669. Okay, so while we're discussing our Bible study this morning, I'm about to get Lawson to read some uh, passages of Scripture, but I just want to say this little next section is going to be spicy. Oh, okay. If you've got kids... Content warning. Content warning. Mm-hmm. If you've got kids, be warned. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to listen to this next section... Um, on the podcast. On the podcast. Yeah. All right, so here it comes. You ready? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question, Lawson. If you, if 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 there was a mob here in Newcastle, yes, they got together and they picked on a young lady walking down the street, for instance, right? Because mm-hmm. I warned you, it's going to be spicy. And they uh, stripped her nude and beat her up. Yeah. Uh, and all, all the while poking fun at her, mocking, jeering, making mm-hmm. jokes, mm-hmm. saying lewd things, all that kind of thing. When those people are convicted, what do they get convicted of? Um, assault. Yes. But the fact that she's naked makes it aggravated sexual yep. assault, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're all clear with that, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's then think about what happened before Jesus was crucified. He was taken by a mob through the streets, stripped naked, and then beaten twice by the Romans, mm. all the while having every kind of vile thing said about him. Mm. Is there a difference as far as the level of abuse goes? No. I would say it's worse than what Jesus went through. Mm. And so that's a hard one to swallow. Mm. But it's what happened. Mm-hmm. Why did Jesus? Why did Jesus suffer this? Because mm. he knew that many people would suffer in similar ways, mm. and he knew that here in Australia, uh, as far as this kind of abuse goes, it would be one in six boys, one in four girls. And how is he ever going to be able to connect with them and to say, "Look, I've been through this. I can get you through this," when he never experienced it himself? Mm. You know, it's one of those horrific things to stop and think about and we don't like to think about it. And whenever I think about it, whenever I even talk about it, my whole being just recoils from it. Mm. To even think that such a thing could happen to Jesus. But it did. The Bible says it happened. Mm. We can read it in black and white. You can't argue that it didn't happen. Mm. 
it happened. And it's one of the worst kinds. Of, it's not the worst kind of abuse. There is only one level higher, and we will talk about that before we're finished. Mm. So, you know, you've got uh, physical abuse and sexual abuse. But that's that in, in today, all of those people involved in that assault would be uh, would be convicted of aggravated sexual assault. Yeah. Because there's a sexual element to it. Yes. All right. Spicy warning over. We are now going to talk about the crucifixion, which, well, if you've got a weak stomach, spicy warning continues. Mm. Let's read about it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew 27 and verse 45. The Bible says, At noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, sabachthani, uh, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Okay, stop there for a moment. Think about abandonment. Think Mm. about the times when you have been abandoned and you have felt abandoned. Mm -hmm. The worst kind of abandonment is the abandonment of your father. Mm. That's the worst kind of abandonment that any child can ever go through, particularly at a time of crisis, and this is the first time that Jesus has ever been abandoned by his father, Mm. and it has the greatest crisis in his life, and it has been an abandoning that the father and and he have chosen to do. Mm. Yeah, that's a a really, really good point. Like, this isn't a Jesus making a last-minute renunciation of faith. No. No, but he has a, literally been abandoned by God. Yes. And for the purpose that he is going to suffer... The, the second death. That's right. He's going to suffer the ultimate penalty for death um, on behalf... Uh, oh, the ultimate penalty for sin on behalf of those who are going to be saved. Yes. Mm. This is really, really heavy stuff that Jesus is going through right now. And Jesus went through it so that he could stand beside you with whatever you're going through. And he can say, I've been there. I've experienced it. I've been, I, I, I gained the victory. I can get you through this. Mm. That's why Jesus suffered this way. Let's keep reading. He's on some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled up a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so that he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes and saves him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. Okay, let's stop there. This is a pretty wild event right here. It's mm. almost as if nature itself is recoiling in horror from what has just taken place. Mm. Nature's creator has just died, mm. and that's not how it should be. Mm-hmm. This is the most horrific death that it was possible to die. Mm. We talked about this yesterday, and we asked the question, you know, 
why did God choose to suffer like this? The, the answer is found if we go over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Why don't you flick over to Hebrews chapter 2 for us and uh, read for us verse 17 and 18. Mm. Verse 17 and 18. It's all right here. Why did Jesus become a human being? Why did he become a human being just like us? Why did he die and suffer so much in that whole process? Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful, faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Since he himself has, because you know, I love how that passage starts, he was made in all points like us. Mm. And since he himself has gone through that suffering, he is able to help us, not in the future when we go to heaven, but right now, right now when we need it. helps us to understand why sin continues, why pain continues, and helps us understand God's attitude towards it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And you are listening to The Breakfast Show now. We need to get into it. We need to get into the draw for this week. We have, you know, had a bit of a shortened week this week. It's, you know, no Monday show. Well, we had a show on Monday with no questions and then no Thursday show because of the public holiday. But you guys have been faithfully answering questions. And right now we are going to spin the wheel. So. Okay, you can hear it. It's turning. It's spinning. It's slowing down. There we go. We have a winner. We have a winner now. We'll try and call them up and get them on the phone. And whilst we're trying to do that, I'll give you guys some of the answers for today. Fill in the blank. But God commanded his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In First Thessalonians, Paul applauded the church because it became a model to all the believers in Archaea and in Macedonia as well. What was what was the water from the water pots usually used for that Jesus used to turn water into wine, uh, it was usually used for ceremonial washing. Uh, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting from the book of Leviticus. And finally, in the sanctuary, the mercy seat was placed on the Ark of the Covenant. So that was our answers for today. Have we been able to get our winner on the phone? We're just just ringing through right now. Oh, they are on the phone. We're about to, about to get them. On air, but congratulations. Good job, everyone, for answering the quiz questions. And on the phone right now, we have Elizabeth. Thank you. Once again, it's my second time. I feel a bit guilty. Oh, <laughs> man. You're allowed to but win I once a month. I'll probably pass that one on, but thank you. Mm. It's, um, I really enjoy doing the quiz, and it's a real blessing to get a prize. Mm. And, Elizabeth, that's a really selfless thing to do, to be able to win a prize like that, because, hey, I've never won a prize in my life before, I don't think. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> don't give him the prize, please. And Elizabeth, don't. you should pass it on and just share it with somebody else so that they can mm. be blessed. So I think that's just wonderful. Uh-huh. And particularly enabling someone to have better health as well. That's what this book is all about, giving yes. giving them the ability to make amazing food. Maybe if the condition of you passing it on, Elizabeth, is that you have to, the person you pass it to has to invite you over for dinner. 
Okay, yep, yep, just like you always that, say. That's, <laughs> that's, right. that's correct. Just like we always say and never do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In board we games. We haven't been down to uh, Melbourne yet. <laughs> that's the problem. That's uh-huh. the problem. We don't yes, get down to Victoria yeah. often enough. I'm actually, no. I'm heading down to Victoria in January, so I'll be All around. right, well, I'll text you the number. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. You, you've got your invitation right there, Lawson. <laughs> Amazing. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Congratulations on winning. Right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. Right, Lila, question of the day today comes in from Darren, and he asks, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10. Many Christians and scholars interpret this as Yeshua's Resurrection Day. I thought the Lord's Day was the weekly Sabbath. What is the correct interpretation? Well, do you want to go from the Bible or tradition? The Bible. Okay, let's go from the Bible then. Uh, in the Bible, you only find one interpretation for which day the Lord's Day is, and there is no confusion. There is not even the slightest hint that is anything other than the Saturday Sabbath. It would be most unusual for somebody in the first century, i.e. John, to indicate that this would be anything other than the Sabbath day because back then the Lord's day was the Sabbath day. Everybody knew that. Everybody recognized that. What we've got to remember is that for the first few centuries of Christianity, the Christian religion was seen as a continuation or a version of the Jewish religion, the world didn't see it any other way. And so this would not have been something that, you know, when they've been calling the Lord's Day the Sabbath day for, what, the last 1,500 years, it's not like they're going to change it that quickly. Okay, so let's look at some Bible passages on this just to clarify it and confirm it for you. First of all, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. The Bible says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Jesus here very, very clearly claiming the Sabbath as his day, his holy day. Goes on and says, And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then I shall cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth, etc. That's what the Bible says. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8, where Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Which day is the Lord's day? Jesus said the Sabbath day was his day. Uh, Mark Mark 2 verse 27 and 28, both of these are good verses right here, but we'll read verse 28. It says, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. What you're going to find is when you study the subject of the Sabbath throughout the New Testament, that this was the one question that created the most controversy between Jesus and the disciples. And yet in all of that controversy, Jesus and the Pharisees, I should say, yet in all of that controversy, never once does he give the slightest hint that any other day other than the Sabbath day was the Lord's day, nor does he give the remotest hint that anything was going to change in relationship to the Sabbath other than how the Sabbath was kept. In other words, it was still to be kept, but in a better way than what they were doing. Uh, Continuing on, and we could just read verse after verse after verse after verse on this. I think you would probably get the idea, but just go to the commandments themselves. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you work and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Which one does he claim is his? He claims the seventh day. Um, in it you shall not do any work, you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. For, why? In six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Go back to creation. In the Garden of Eden, who was it that was resting on the Sabbath day? Who was making this a public holiday for all mankind? It was God. It was his day, and he has claimed it as his from that time forward and ever since. When the Bible says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the Bible is abundantly clear that that was the seventh-day Sabbath. Finally, we have this very specific command of Jesus referencing the end of time, the time in which we live, the time in which Christians are going to, at some time in the near future, have to run for their lives. And he says, when that time comes, pray that your flight, this is Matthew 24, verse 20, is not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Jesus commands us in the clearest possible language to keep the Sabbath all the way down to the very end of time. There's the answer. The Lord's day, according to the Bible, is the Sabbath day, which brings us to the end of the breakfast show this morning. But we have one last text message coming through here that I didn't want us to miss over. Words cannot describe what God and Jesus went through. God is good, and what he does for us every day is amazing. And even that word is too small to describe what he has and does do for us. Great message right there. Thank you for sharing that with us and just emphasizing just how amazingly good God is. It's just beyond imagination. And as you go through the day, do not forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.